Welcome to Around the Table. The age of accountability. It's one of those concepts that has shaped our church profoundly over the years, but it has not been very clearly defined or understood. We hope to change that in this insightful discussion. One of the topics suggested for Around the Table is to teach or explain the phrase which has been used historically in our church, the age of accountability. There are only two words in this phrase that can trip us up, and the first word is age, and the second is accountability. My name is Lynn Stiglitz, and I serve as elder at Leo, Indiana. I have a partner with me today. Hi, I'm Frank Souter, the elder at Roanoke. We need to be upfront with the phrase age of accountability. It is not found in Scripture. Lynn, can you start a discussion around the question of what does age of accountability mean, and where did the phrase come from? I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but I I think it is seeking to represent a time in life when an individual realizes that they are willfully and rebelliously sinning against God, and by that sin, they're deserving of eternal separation from Him. We believe that the Scripture also teaches that salvation is a deliberate act of faith on the part of an individual where they are repentant of the rebellion and placing their trust in what Jesus did for them at Calvary and the proof of the empty tomb, and they have a desire to live for Him. This is not a discernment that's normally given to a toddler, even a young child. And Isaiah 7.16 is part of a prophecy from God. Isaiah himself is told, uh, Before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Brother Frank, if the term age of accountability isn't in Scripture, then is there no reference at all to a certain age? Well, it's a little misleading to talk about age as if there was a specific one. God alone knows the exact age when an individual is expressing real rejection of God and is in need of salvation and of being saved. That is why the Bible never speaks of a specific age. But that doesn't mean that we have no idea of a general time in life that this can occur. When God sent the Israelites Back into the wilderness, in Numbers 32.11, he declared that except Joshua and Caleb, all of those 20 and older would die in the wilderness before Israel could enter into the promised land. Well, that's not only true from the Old Testament, but other factors can give some direction on general age, including the fact that Jesus went to the temple at the age of 12. Uh, Jewish parents use what may be seen as an arbitrary age of 13 when their son experiences bar mitzvah, moving from his parents' responsibility and becomes a son of the law or a son of the commandment. After the first century, Tertullian, an early church father, he, he lived from uh, 160 to 230 A.D. Around 210 A.D., he wrote that the puberty of the soul coincides with that of the body. Generally speaking, they both attain together this full growth at about the 14th year of life. But, but you're not saying that young people's lives and decisions are unimportant to God, are you? Absolutely not. I recently had a service at our monthly family night and highlighted the young people that God used at a young age. Miriam, Samuel, David, uh, the boy kings, Joash and Josiah at ages 7 and 8, Naaman's young servant girl, Daniel and his friends, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the lad with loaves and fishes. There are promises of blessing in God's word about serving the Lord in one's youth. That brings us to a discussion, I think, of the second word, accountability. There's been a lot of theological discussions about what children are accountable for, 
Is it the consciousness of sin? Are they accountable for guilt and condemnation of being a sinner or for the sin committed? I don't think we need to answer all of those questions for us to recognize that there are places in the Bible where it seems to address the innocence of children and therefore their acceptance by God. Would you agree with that? And, and if, you, if so, what are, what are some of the examples we read about? Um, I do believe that there are inferences in several places, such as in 2 Samuel chapter 12, God has decreed that the first child of the adulterous relationship between David and Bathsheba will die as a consequence for David's sin. David fasts, prays, and pleads with the Lord for mercy and a change of mind. But yet the child dies. And David's servants are amazed at how well he accepts the news. David explains, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then he emphasizes, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. That's a lot of hope and comfort. I would also say that in the New Testament, there are several representations of the innocence of children as well. Jesus said in Matthew 18.10, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. In Matthew 18.2-3, he called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. These were his disciples, adult men. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Finally, Jesus himself wanted to bless the children brought to him by their parents in Matthew 19, 13 to 14. All of these references can be a comfort to parents and who are raising young children or maybe even have lost a young child. Yet I know that doesn't answer all of our questions as to how we help parents and youth discern next steps in seeking the Lord. Brother Frank, how have uh, you presented and counseled concerning this topic? You know, Brother Lynn, I love the account of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. The physical birth is a powerful word picture of what spiritual birth looks like. It's a perfect analogy of conversion. We can read in John chapter 3, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes, and that prompted Nicodemus to ask, well, how can I be born again? Was he really asking about going back into the womb, or do you believe that he was thinking of something else? I believe that he was asking, do I have to start all over again? I have spent years training to be a Pharisee. But this is what conversion is all about. It's dying to our old life and being made a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, we all believe that God is life. And not only is life, he is the creator of life. And we believe 
our physical life begins at conception. But when one is conceived, it does not mean it's time to be born. As a child grows and matures inside the womb, the child starts developing signs of life. The mother can begin to feel the movement of the child inside of her. And as the child grows later on, the dad or the children can put the hand on her stomach and they can feel the baby move. Every young couple experiences this great excitement to see the sign of life. And and we praise God, but it doesn't mean that this is the time for birth. Later on, contractions begin. But the time for birth is not yet. As contractions start, young couples begin to wonder, how will we know when we're supposed to go to the hospital? How do you know when this baby will be born? And with time, the contractions grow with frequency and intensity. And the time for birth has arrived. You know, I'm catching a glimpse now of the analogy. Um, build, build a little bit more on how the physical birth is a picture of the spiritual rebirth. We can see the beginnings of spiritual birth in our young children. They have a desire to follow God. This is similar to the movements we see in the womb prior to physical birth. When our children are young, they express a love for Jesus, and they talk about wanting to be baptized as they get older. It's an exciting time. Later on, the contractions begin. And this is when your children come to you with a desire to confess or repent. These are precursors for a spiritual birth. They are the beginning of contractions. And it can be an anxious time. But as a parent, don't fear this time. Christ will lead the way. The contractions will increase in intensity and frequency as the time approaches. As an elder, it brings me great joy to hear when children share these contractions, this struggle of spiritual birth with their parents. The parents have witnessed the birth of their child physically, and by his grace, they can witness the spiritual birth of their child. Each birth, physical and spiritual, are unique. Some involve great struggles and much time. Others, less so. But each birth is miraculous. Brother Frank, as I sit and listen, I'm thinking even of the six of my children raised in the same household, and every one of them was unique. And so we don't want this advice to be sound prescriptive or any guarantee or that anything is a known situation. But is there advice that we can give to parents who have children in the five to 10 year age range that they come desiring to repent and to, to follow Jesus? Are there things that they can do or anything they should avoid? As I think about that, I think one of the things that we err as parents is that we tend to overreact in one of two ways. One, we can be so anxious for our children to be saved that we embrace it when they themselves are still working through it. Or the more common thing that I've seen parents do is they panic and they just simply say, you're way too young. 
To tell a child they're way too young is not the correct response. We need to embrace the child where they are at and rejoice with them. Let them know that the Spirit is working in their lives. When a young child comes and says they want to repent, let them know that it is wonderful to see the Spirit at work in their life. Share with them about the process of physical birth. What is happening inside of them spiritually is the same thing that happens with a child inside the womb. With the baby's kick or hand movement, it's a sign of life. Explain to them that with this sign of life, that contractions will come and it'll become more intense, but they shouldn't fear that. Have a prayer with them. Praise God that he is working in their lives. I have found children can understand about spiritual birth when I explain to them about physical birth. It makes sense to them. Help them understand that the contractions will come, but that God will clearly show them and you when that time comes to be born again. Above all, rejoice with them in this moment. And Brother Frank, I really appreciate your analogy of the two births. Um, can we sum it up this way? The term age of accountability, uh, though it's a phrase that isn't found in Scripture, it represents a time when a child is coming out of a position in life when they would be viewed as innocent and is coming into an encounter with God where they are being drawn into salvation that they desperately need. The phrase is a little problematic because it implies that there may be a specific age, and yet every soul is different. Only God knows, and praise God he does know, the exact state of the individual. But wouldn't we want to encourage any step toward God, knowing that he knows the individual need and readiness? I believe that we would, trusting God to draw them. Personally, I don't like to use the phrase age of accountability, because people focus too much on an age. I prefer sticking with the biblical phrase, you must be born again. And then to explain the similarities between the physical birth and spiritual birth. It's the analogy God uses, and I think it is a powerful analogy. I agree. There is no way really to avoid some of the oh, seemingly contradictions at that time. But, and it isn't that we as a church or other churches have used the phrase, that isn't that we've been speaking in air, but maybe there is a better way to present it. We desire to witness the transition of souls from innocence to a growing sense of conviction of sin, and then a clear expression of what repentance and trusting in Jesus looks like. Only God knows when saving faith has occurred, but what joy there is as a parent. To sense that no longer is our child's hands only in ours, but is also clearly in the Father's. In 3 John 3-4 we read, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your interest and also welcome your comments. To share your feedback or episode ideas, go to the settings menu in AC Central, select User Feedback, and when the web page opens, click the Feedback on Around the Table link. Around the Table is a production of Onward Media, 
a communications ministry of the Apostolic Christian Church.